Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I am your host, Keith Koo. And I want to say, wish everyone a Xi Nian Kuai Le, which literally means Happy Chinese New Year, as we're halfway through the Chinese New Year holiday. And last week, I was actually speaking at a conference in New York when Chinese New Year started. So thanks again for those tuning in to listen to a rebroadcast of one of our most popular shows, Off the Blockchain with Park and Debaj. Today, I'm joined by venture capitalist Sophie Liao of Oyster Venture Capital. Sophie has got a lot of experience in cross-border business and mergers and acquisitions. And I thought with this being the Chinese New Year holiday and a lot of the Chinese um, associates and business partners we have being off, that it'd be just a great time to talk about cross-border investments. So Sophie, thanks a lot for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So I was reading in the news that WeChat, which is kind of like Facebook and instant messenger all rolled into one that the Chinese use, that they are sending out uh, what's called digital red envelopes at a massive scale. So just to go into that, every Chinese New Year, there's a custom. The Chinese New Year holiday is like Christmas and Thanksgiving and Independence Day all rolled up into one. And the most common things to do are meet your family, travel across the country in China and other parts of the world, and give financial gifts to each other called hongbao or red envelopes. So, Sophie, let's talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, love to. Um, as of now, I'm still stay very tuned in all my WeChat group, just in case they send out a hongbao that I miss it. <laughs> um, actually, so hongbao would be equivalent as if you sending out the uh, festival wristband in a music festival. It's for good karma. It's for sending like kind of regards to friends. So, um, and then the range anywhere from say a dollar, couple cents, to two hundred dollars. So each hongbao has a cap there. Before it didn't, but now it seems to get, get out of control. But this is a really really smart move from WeChat because this is their way to hook people in of giving out their banking information, link their bank of information, financial accounts to WeChat accounts. So later they can do transactions on top of it. So this is a, their market entry point for WeChat of playing in the financial um, mar- market. Yeah. It's amazing. As a Chinese American, my family did follow the custom. So I was looking forward to receiving fiat currency or, or hard cash and now what we're talking about, we're, we're, <laughs> uh, I was reading that, you know, even three years ago, 2015, WeChat had delivered 3 billion digital red envelopes, which is the equivalent of about two for every single person in China. And then I read yep. that this year, it's expected to exceed 46 billion red envelopes, digital red envelopes, which is more like 33 red packets per person. I would... I mean, I, I can make an inst- like institutional assumption that um, um, my guess is every person of every WeChat user would either receiving or opening or sending out red envelopes on the average 200 per year. 
<laughs> yeah. So this is a very conservative um, educational guess. Yeah. Exactly. So <laughs> even though it averages to thirty-three per person in China, which is massive scale, not everyone in China is connected. So really, it's about two hundred per digitally active user. And the reason why we we're talking about WeChat is we talk a lot about technology on this show. And we just wanted to make sure that people are aware that although lots of innovation happens in Silicon Valley, innovations happening all around the world. WeChat is sponsored by a Chinese firm, Tencent, and Tencent is equally large as Microsoft, Google, Facebook, Cisco. I mean, it's a giant technology company in China. So, right again, um, happy New Year to everyone, and looking forward to um, everyone doing very well with their dreams and their aspirations. So, thanks again. I wanted to switch into some current news topics. Um, we talk a lot about technology risk and things that are associated with that. And the reason why we go into those topics is just because we want people to be educated, especially those developing technology products or financial services. So, for instance, in the news this past week, uh, in separate ways of being affected, was a virus built into a web plugin. And it happens all over the place. In this case, it was happening in the UK. And also, it was where 5,000 websites in the UK were taking over for crypto mining. And we've talked this, about this in past episodes where uh, people are now hijacking, hackers are hijacking web browsers. So your web browser at home or in your office uh, in order to crypto mine. So not necessarily you're going to steal any files or cause ransomware, but it does slow down the performance of your computer. It might spike your network traffic. But if you're vulnerable to crypto mining malware, you're vulnerable to other malware as well. So we just want to make sure people realize that because as you're a business owner, with the new regulations coming down, like we talked about the EU having GDPR, a uh, data privacy regulation, it's not going to fly anymore to say that you weren't protected. They don't really care. It's really all about your responsibility. And in another case about data breaches, and this is also related to vendor management or supplier risk, which we talk about a lot, is Aetna. Aetna was fined a significant amount of money for a data breach. And we, since we talk about technology, sometimes the risk isn't related to technology. This is pretty much old world snail mail. Um, Aetna was fined for releasing information on patients using an HIV drug. And how it was breached was that their supplier was sending out the notifications to their patients with a window pane envelope. So back to snail mail, not technology. The envelope had a window instead of being covered, and therefore Edna was hit with this big fine. They said it was their supplier's fault, so they sued their supplier. The supplier, KCC, said it's not our fault. We didn't get those directions, and they countersued. And so the world's getting complicated, whether it's technology or snail mail. Just be very aware of the risks you take when you get into these types of businesses. On more of a lighter note, here in Silicon Valley, a lot has been discussed about Apple's flagship headquarters, the spaceship, so to speak. It's um, a massive facility that can hold 13,000 employees at once. It's all glass. And the funny story on this was that people are breaking their noses and smashing their faces into these glass because the building is circular and people are just not aware. They're too busy looking at their iPhones, obviously, and so they're just bumping into things. They put Post-it notes up on the window so people would know that they're about to run into glass. And 
Instead, the facilities folks are taking those Post-it notes down because, of course, as we know with Apple, it distracts from the user experience. Um, what's ironic is a similar story happened in an Apple store a few years ago where a woman broke her nose in an Apple store and sued Apple and uh, don't know the resolution of that. But just be careful. With, with all this innovation in design, uh, sometimes we talk about form over function. This is definitely one of those cases. So as a reminder, I'm going to be speaking or hosting the San Jose Smart City Conference. Thank you to everyone who has signed up to be a sponsor. If you're interested in being a sponsor, send me an email at info at svin.biz, and we'll get you connected with the, the organizers. Uh, once again, we have Sophie Liao of Oyster VC. We'll be hearing more about her story in just a few minutes. Don't go away. For questions or comments on today's program, call one 888 828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I am your host, Keith Koo, and today I'm joined by the founder of Oyster Venture Capital, Sophie Liao. Sophie, thanks again for being with me today. Thanks for having me. So, Sophie, you have a really great background. You started off as a documentary filmmaker? Right. <laughs> Great, you mean all the HRs doesn't like my resume. They will have a headache if they, you know, <laughs> it is a little bit all over the place, but um, I've learned uh, through all my careers. Yep. And let's talk about that. So you went from documentary filmmaker to M&A and venture capitalist. What was that journey like? Um, if you actually, you know, whenever people look back at connecting the dots, right, um, I would say the, uh, my entire career is actually tailored towards cross-border, China, U.S. It doesn't matter. I was doing China, U.S. content creator, I um, mean, storyteller, um, or I was doing that in the business sense, which is cross-border M&A, or I was doing that for, I actually started my own company, Virtual Reality Production House. Um, I quickly sold it. You know, it's not a nice, it's not a big exit, but it's good enough for me to cover all the costs. That that was cross-border content creation, too, but integrated with technology. And now I'm doing cross-border VC. So I feel this journey has, has, has taken me a like, long way to come to this point. It's like, okay, what's the most efficient way for me to contribute to all what I've learned in the past? And also, like allow myself to find my own happy place so I can, you know, dancing to work daily, which I came to this conclusion that I need to start my own VC firm. Yep. No, that that's awesome. I mean, I think that says a lot to the background you had. Um, as you know, when we've, we've talked, it's our consulting firm. We help businesses do business with each other. And through that mechanism, lately we've gotten more and more interest in cross-border investments, which is why you know we've partnered together with you. Um, this is where, and again, with this being Chinese New Year, it's a very appropriate mm-hmm. topic. There's just so much going on beyond the United States, beyond Silicon Valley. What are some of the trends you see in the investment world? What are things that are people interested in? The consumer software in China is way more fascinating than what I've seen here in the U.S., that's definitely number one uh, because the market is leapfrog to the whole PC generation and jump directly to mobile uh, because the market there is so big yet fragmented. So every single 
ideas get tested immediately in the market, and they are not in shortage of users to test it out, right? Because a lot of the consumers have way better buying or heavier buying power versus the rest of the world because they are so um, pumped to accept the new ways of technology. That so, um, for example, that Chinese household would update their home devices, home entertainment device, or their mobile every two years. Versus in Europe, it's every seven to ten years. In the states, it's every five to seven years. Just think about the numbers, right? <laughs> that, that's why a lot of consumer-facing um, technologies is really very creative in China. That's what I've seen there. Yeah, that's a great point. I think um, we mentioned that last year in Mary Meeker's annual kind of state of technology report. It was interesting. She said that Chinese consumers are the most likely. To use the mobile platform, like you mentioned, and also the most likely to pay for content versus any other society in the world, the Chinese are the most likely to pay for digital content and apps. So everything you said about the adoption of consumer、uh, makes sense to me. So how would a U.S. company or any other company try to penetrate that market? Well, that's a one billion dollar question. <laughs> If I nailed it, <laughs>、um, I think. So, because my firm is cross-border, right? We have now three entities: Oyster Early Stage in the U.S., with 20 million asset under management, which I'm mostly in charge of.、Um, we have Oyster Growth Fund in China, 150 million, and we have a continuing fund in Southeast Asia.、Um, we, our partner Jonathan is managing that, which is 30 million.、Um, so, the thesis behind it is we invest early stage. Globally, not only just Silicon Valley,、uh, early stage enough.、Uh, whenever the portfolio is international market ready, then we use the China fund and Southeast Asia fund to double them down, as well as finding local partners for them. So it takes a tremendous local market knowledge and local quote unquote mafia players to be with you to like walk you through the whole landscape there.、Um, so the reason I mention. Our investment thesis is because it can answer your question. There's no simple answer to that. Never. Just、um, think about it.、Uh, how many American companies actually successfully penetrated the China market? Right. Google got kicked out. Uber got acquired. Airbnb is still struggling. They switched three CEOs for the past I don't know one or two years.、Um, Evernote got shut down. And LinkedIn is still struggling there, trying to find a、uh, product market fit. So, and Snapchat is not there. Instagram is not there. Let alone, face, let alone Facebook. All those so-called Silicon Valley unicorns that have been struggling to find their way in. But that being said, that consumer-facing product is blessed because they have the word of mouth. They can spread. The market can recognize them immediately, but also cursed because they're consumer-facing. Therefore, you are you have to go through the censorship, right? right. Yeah, so, the, yeah, this is like. Go ahead.、Mm-hmm. So, just like Hollywood in the old days, we can the any Hollywood films every year we have the quota of anywhere. I don't re- remember the exact number. Twenty.、Um, anywhere from twenty, yeah, twenty or twenty-one films to go to China. Right. To be aired, allowed to aired in Chinese theater. Now it's been forty two or forty eight. I forgot, but because it's 
consumer-facing product is content story. It means it's might be a, a your your view of world is religion, right? You cannot accept, you cannot expect that the Chinese government will allow you to go in just tell their local citizens what to think, right? So, um, a lot of that being said, going back to your question, how would all this company penetrate China market? One is you have to think what type of company you are: a U to B or to C. Are you enterprise SaaS model? You can licensing, or you find a local sales representative to represent your technologies, or you are consumer facing. If you're consumer facing, then you ha- you need to do tremendous market research. I I always tell my portfolio founders that uh, that's called a pre-production before you actually waste a lot of money and time of trying to penetrate. Pre-production meaning one, do market research. Is your pro- product potentially running into political risk, right? It's the product worth, um, can be copy-paste. Whatever you do successfully here, can you copy-paste that strategy to China? It's your product that mentality-wise tailored for the Chinese market, right? For example, this, this one's very important. If you open Sina, S-I-N-A, Sina China, it is a hot pot styling of layouts. The front page is everything. It's whether it's sports, it's news, it's entertainment, it's like everything. But if you open it here, North America is very clean cut, right? So this is a just a little minor difference on the front end. Yep. Later on, later on, like WeChat, for example, it is a hot pot of Facebook Messenger, of Instagram, of Twitter. Uh, vers- and also they are just Slack because people do work there. Versus here, every single app has the, its, its go-to-market functionality. Sophie, There's no. let me, um, this is a fascinating conversation and this is going to be a, a really great topic yeah. when we get back. So let me just pause you there for just a second. Uh, folks, you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider. If you are interested in any of the content we're talking about, you can reach us at info at svin.biz. That's, again, svin.biz. You can also call us at 1-888-828-7846. Today we're talking about cross-border investments, and we have Sophie Liao joining us. We'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I am your host, Keith Koo, and I'm joined today by special guest, founder of Oyster Venture Capital, Sophie Liao. Sophie, thanks again for being with us today. Thank you for having me. So, Sophie, in our last segment, we had a really great conversation about some of the challenges in doing cross-border, not just investments, but really working together. I really liked how you brought up um, how a lot of these Silicon Valley unicorns Uber, Facebook, Google, LinkedIn really haven't done that well or really succeeded at all in China. And there's lots of reasons for that. One of the things you mentioned jokingly was that there's a mafia. And I think, you know, we we know it's not a real mafia. It's more of this business mafia, this concept of when you do business with anyone, it's a relationship based activity. I'll, I'll I'll say that for where you've done M&A on the deal side, I grew up mm-hmm. in Cisco's M&A integration group where for years we were integrating a ton of companies globally. And a lot of what you talked about in the last segment, uh, we saw on a day-to-day basis. So when you have to integrate exactly. over 50 companies in three years, that was literally 
um, the time period we're in, 52 acquisitions in three years. Um, there were times where I didn't know what country I was in. Whether you're working in China, Israel, Singapore, Denmark, uh, it's all different. It's very different. I would say language probably the least hurdle you have to cross. Language just on the surface. What's really different is the mentality, how people get things done in different countries. Yeah. Right. It, there's a, I'll use a European example. We were doing an acquisition and uh, we had thought stuff was done uh, months and months in advance knowing we were going to do an acquisition and not understanding local labor laws. People just don't work on the weekends at that point of time. It might have changed you know, several years later, but way back then, people didn't work on the weekends, but yet we always did our integrations over a weekend. And so we were almost left hanging where just nobody was available to work. Yeah, um, when I was go, uh, there's a huge wave of, of of China buyers trying to buy Hollywood assets, right? So I was one of the <laughs> in 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 the rush. So um, I always tell that they this from because uh, I represent the buy, buyer side, and then I tell, always tell the sell side, it's like, listen, guys, uh, this is a great conversation, uh, but you have to you have to know that. There's a different degree of agreeness whenever the Chinese buyers say yes. It might be a 20% yes. It might be 80% yes. It might be just a polite yes. Actually, in his mind, he already made a decision that he's not going to work with you. He's not going to buy your assets. But the Chinese folks say yes just to be polite. They're not really trying to trick you or anything. Uh, but the thing is... The, the sell side, Western trained mentality would say, well, just tell me yes or no so we can move on. We don't waste each other's time, right? So, like, how do you translate that to each other? And so they wouldn't have misunderstanding with each other, you know? So this is a very, for me, when I was doing M&A, it's less about actually build a spreadsheet. Uh, I have a coworker who does that, but it's more about translating the cultural, translating the mentality across the table. Yeah, I like, I like where you're going with this. Uh, back to language translation is the least of the least challenge, least of the challenges we have when we're doing cross-border. Yeah. So yeah. when we think about it, um, just like we say that 80 or 90% of communication is nonverbal, so once you get past the language, you have to really understand the nuance. We, we train a lot of companies as well where we talk about the directness of some Western societies versus the non-directness of other cultures. And why I want to bring this up, um, we used to take a lot of sensitivity training just in corporate, and when you're doing multinational company, there are companies, websites that qualify how to do business with each other. And so, for instance, you just brought it up, the U.S. is considered one of the more direct companies to deal with. And per this website, there's only two cultures more direct than Americans, which would be Australians and Israelis in that order. And I love working with all of them. Every other country is less direct. So when you said um, in Chinese, sometimes it's really more about not embarrassing you. I won't bring up the ethnicity, but we joke that in some societies, uh, no means no, maybe means no, and yes means maybe. So I think that's really key in understanding, exactly. right? Because uh, so we're not only helping companies get to China, we're trying to get companies um, from other parts of the world into the United States. And the biggest, biggest hurdle is this cultural misunderstanding. Right. 
The only, also, I have to point it out. Hollywood did a pretty damn good job of of exporting American cultural, American mentality, American way of living and thinking, doing business to the rest of the world. So I feel the American businessman here is a little bit cursed, but also blessed. Why? People always want to come here to chase an American dream, to work with American technology companies, unicorns, right? But the Americans does not know how other cultural get things done in their own in, in their own way, right? Right. So because this, think about how many Chinese films has been broadcasted like widely in in America. Even after one that purchased AMC for three billion dollars, that still there's a handful of Chinese film actually penetrate the so-called U.S. market, right? So I mean, there's it's it's a lot of catch up to do in terms of other cultural letting. American market to know what they think, how they get things done. Yeah. So what are some of the tips or advice that we can be educating folks on how to get caught up? I would always bring this um, <laughs> methodology. It's a little bit inappropriate, especially in this whole sexual harassment going on in Silicon Valley. But this is just a metaphor, right? It's almost like dating. When you go on a date with someone, a guy invite a girl out, a girl invite a guy out. It's less about showing what you want. It's always about getting to know where the other person coming from, what he or she need the most in the current stage of, of their life. How can I help you? I think if you I, I also be open-minded and don't judge immediately that um, everybody is fighting their own battle internally. You, don't, you, have ne- you have no idea where the other person comes from, right? So... When you having an international investor, when you having an international M and A offer, always think one: where does business come from? What's the history of the company? What the owner really wants? Do, does he re- just want to purchase me so later he can integrate with 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 their business in in China or India or Europe, or he just acquired me because he is public traded company in China? By acquiring overseas assets, can pump up his their their stock market, so he doesn't care about the price, but more time-sensitive issue. So there's a lot of things really to think of um, before you can make a educational judgment call. That's why I always think. Because I see a lot of impatient sellers here in American markets will always push the Chinese buyers or international buyers, hey, where is my term sheet? Where is my LOI? <laughs> where is your money? I would say before pressing that button, you have to do a lot of pre-negotiation research. What the other person really wants? How can you help him to get there? I think if once you have this mentality, it will help yourself to get things done in a faster way, and you will save each other's time. Yeah, that's excellent. Ad- like, yeah, that's excellent yeah, advice. Because go ahead. Um, this is you know, it's not really um, you know, just your top ten tip, tips or per se, but it's more like the switch of mentality, the perspective, right? So, Yeah, I like, I like what you're saying about the relationship aspect of it, right? So I think we all think, I think a lot of business folks think that they're experts in relationships, but they're not understanding the cultural identity of the people they're building relationships with. So in the Western culture, uh, we do due diligence. We look at the deal. We look at the term sheets. We look at all the aspects that say, hey, we can try to empirically come to some good observation mm-hmm. or decision-making, but in other yeah. cultures, it's much more relationship-based. We want to get to know you. Who are we doing business with first? 
Then yeah, we figure out, they, right? Yeah, and the, the, a lot of all the international folks they they crossed the entire Pacific Ocean. They came here to do business with you. How can he trust you immediately? How can he just give you their money and get like you know call it a day? There's no such thing as as, as free breakfast. You know, right. it's, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think I've seen it in the other way, too, right? So I think uh, in the reverse of that, as very, very prominent, large, reputable, multi-billion dollar Chinese companies are coming to the U.S., they also have similar challenges in misunderstanding the culture, right? So when you said in the last segment, which was great, about the B2B, so business to business, or B2C, business to consumer, we have companies coming over that say, hey, we have a great product. It's being adopted by five times the number of people in the United States because that's five times the population. We're just going to land in the United States, sell our product, everyone's going to love us. And they too have the same types of disappointments that American companies are having in China. What do you think about right. that? I think it's we have to look at this thing in, in two different scenarios. One is I was helping American company launch in China. Later I did a reverse business way, which is helping Chinese company launch in America. It's a totally different challenge. It's equal equally challenging but to different has dif- different um, layers behind it right different reasons as America, yeah as um, so let's talk about scenario number one that American companies go to China their challenge is how to translate their awesomeness of the products to the Chinese way of thinking so the Chinese consumers can accept it right um, that's that's number one thing for consumer facing products for enterprise to be is how do you find the local mafias to play with you, to help you? Uh, not literally the mafia, but the people who is really localized and who speaks a dialect. <laughs> you know, I always tell my uh, portfolios that here in North America, say, listen, guys, if you find some businessman that they can help you navigate in China, if that man's English is better than mine, that means probably not localized enough for you to partner with. But that's a tricky thing. If the English is not good enough, how would the North American company trust that or even communicate with that guy, right? So I think that would get better because the bilingual generation has really um, expanded tremendously for the past 25 years, right? The Chinese parents keep sending their kids overseas, just like me. So um, that's like... Scenario number one is American company goes to China is always one finding your product market fit. Secondly, is matter of time to finding the partner. So, walk, so Sophie, this is just this has been such a great conversation. I'm going to save scenario number two for our next segment. Yeah. But mm-hmm. thanks again. So we have Sophie Liao, founder of Oyster Venture Capital, with us today, and we're having a really great dialogue on cross border investments. Uh, you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. You can reach us at info at svin.biz, that's svin.biz, or you could call us at 828-7846, that's 888-828-7846, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846, that's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo, and today I'm joined by founder of Venture Capital, Sophie Liao. Sophie, once again, thanks for joining us. Uh, just great conversation we had finishing up on the last segment, and we're just about to get into your second scenario on cross-border challenges. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Scenario number two is when Chinese company or say any international company coming to America, you are cha- your challenges one have to be recognized by the market is you have to answer the question: Who are you? How do you how do you introduce yourself through what channel, in what way through what which partners? Right. So this is one is basically introducing yourself. This is working your way up. Right. Right. So, because the American companies, they go to China, go to other market. Everybody knows who they are. James Cameron go to China. Everybody wants to take a picture with him. Everybody wants to work with him, right? And one dot trying to, even though they are the largest real estate developer in China, they come into America. Nobody knows who they are. Uh, this is the sad fact that every international company wants to launch their business in America. You have to go through that. You have to put down your ego a little bit. Uh, Trip like just introducing yourself as a brand new entity. That's number one. Number two, as a brand new entity who's not localized enough, what do you do? You find locals to work with you or work for you. It's either through soft landing strategy um, by acquiring companies have really good reputation and pipeline here in America, or you hire very localized American American citizen to work with you, to hold your hands and walk you through what's the steps from legal structure to business development to closing the deals, right? right. So I think uh, international company c- coming to America is facing different challenge. It's almost like a baby trying to act as an adult in American market versus American company goes to China or any other national market. It's a recognized adult walking in ma- up among the ma- mafias and you have to figure out who to work with. Yeah. Can you even go there or not? So I think, put it simple, yeah, it should be those two scenarios, different challenge. Yeah. Thanks again for going into those scenarios. I mean, I have the comment where uh, we could see what you said in scenario number one, brand new identity. We see that right now with the mobile company called Huawei. And because mm-hmm. they know that people have a challenge in saying Huawei, they hired Gal Gadot, who's Wonder Woman, and Scarlett Johansson as spokespeople. And they're teaching people how to say Wow way, which is not exactly correct, but it gets their brand closer to how they exactly. really say their name. Yeah. Look at Alibaba. They have annual festival, just like the Super Bowl mid-show, right? Um, they have it. Before, they always invite local Chinese celebrities. And now they have international department. They have the international expansion strategy. So they have been inviting all the top talents from all over the world right. to be on the show. And then, yeah, regardless of what the cost is, and it ha- it has been working for them. And then for your right, and then for your second scenario, I mean, the comment about localization. Um, I'll use my own personal example. So my family's from Shanghai. They speak three dialects: Mandarin, Shanghai dialect, and Cantonese. But for those of us from Shanghai, we know that when you're in Shanghai in China, although you'll speak Mandarin, the Shanghai dialect itself hyper local. There's a whole different, you know, business dialect or business mafia to your to your perspective that goes on that people exactly. just don't even understand. I have a friend who they interpret for they were interpreters for Disney in China and having to use English for the English and German engineers, Mandarin for the construction um, company, and then Shanghai dialect for locals who are doing the actual construction work. Imagine all the business challenges in getting uh, the Tron ride open in China. Yeah, I actually have a funny, um, a fun tip for everybody here who's trying to do cross-border business. <laughs> if you have to hire a translator, 
doesn't matter is English to Spanish, Chinese to English. Um, hiring a professional translator probably is not the best um, strategy. The best one is actually hiring someone whose English is not that great, but he know or she knows the business mentality behind it. You need to find a people person who has done business in both markets. That person, and in 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 your specific business category, that person will be work way better and it's more efficient than a professional translator. So if, what I mean is, you'd rather hire a real person versus a really smart Siri. So Sophie, with a couple minutes we've had left, thanks again for joining us. It's been a great conversation. What's the best way to reach you? Um, email. I have a website, oyster.vc, or find me as Sophie at oystervc.com. And and for those of us, you still can also get a hold of Sophie through us at info at svin.biz. So to summarize on today's show, we've had Sophie Liao, founder of Oyster Venture Capital. We've been talking about um, stories around cross-border investments and how it really is more than just a language challenge between two cultures. You really have to take the time to understand the market position, the cultural identity of the people you're doing business with, whether in this case it's China and Chinese companies coming to the U.S. or it's the U.S. and your U.S. company going to China. There's just different attributes or different things that you need to think of, and there are people here like Sophie's firm and our firm to come help and guide you with that. So, again, I'd like to thank Sophie for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks again for joining us on our show about cross-border business and investments. If you want to get a hold of Sophie or me, you can get it at info at svin.biz. Also, if you want to connect with me directly, um, I'm Keith Koo on LinkedIn and on Facebook. So, once again, thanks for joining me and Sophie. Sophie will be back on a future show. Thank you again. Happy Chinese New Year. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846. 888-828-SVIN. 